This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome, everybody, um, to this class. Two Jews, three opinions. Why it is that Jews always seem to be fighting with each other. I like to take ideas, which they're broad, they're encompassing. It gives you a sense in every stage of your life. Like I look around the room, I see some people here with their shadows and their snoods, and some people are here with their seminary packages. So there's different groups, there's different ages and stages, and and there's and then there's you. <laughs> be proud. Be proud. <laughs> And hopefully we can take this concept that I want to develop with you tonight and we can take it home and we can use this. Now, I'll tell you the truth. So I wasn't planning on speaking here tonight. Um, just a few days ago, I had this idea in my head. And when they asked me if I could come speak, I said, it's a perfect concept to develop, perfect time to present it. And hopefully we can take this matana, which was given over to us, and we can develop it. So on a nightly basis, I sit with couples a lot of times I sit with them when they're engaged, a lot of times when they're married, a lot of times when they're looking towards heading out of a marriage. You hear a lot of things. And a lot of times you sit with a couple, and I'll give you an example recently. I'm sitting with a couple, and the guy's complaining about his wife, and the wife's complaining about him. And she's saying, you know, he gets up so late, and he's not emotionally available for me, and he's a terrible guy, and she's like ripping him to pieces. And he says... Well, her, the house is a mess, and she doesn't take care of the kids properly, and he gives a whole laundry list of things. And then they always turn, and they turn to me, and they go, so, who's right? right? Am I right? Is, is he right? Like, who's right? What's the story? Am I right? He doesn't get up on time. He needs to be more emotionally available to me. And he's like, doesn't she have to spend more time with the kids? And they're going back and forth. Who's right? So... Let's take that idea and put it up on the board and try to develop something so we can analyze this story. But more than this story is really another story. It used to be 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when you wanted to know what happened in the world, you take out a newspaper, you read it, you went, oh, okay, that's the world news, and gagangin, right? You went on with your life. Today, you go on, you know, let's say, a from news website, and you say, you know, what happened in the world? So they say a child in Muncie crossed the street and was nearly hit by a car. And here's the videotape, right? So you go down to the comment section, because that's the whole story. You go down to the comment section. Somebody writes, that's not the story. I was there. The kid, he almost didn't make it across the street, and they, you know, this is fake news. And somebody else says, you must be a guy. And then somebody else says, you must be a Zionist. And says, you're in a Turek Karta, right? And somebody says, where's the editors of this thing? This is Sinas Kingdom. This is why the base of this is, is not being rebuilt, right? And then somebody, like, it's like every story, like, what? Like, the kid just crossed the street, and that's the whole story. It's a non-story. But we have, like, 32 opinions about what actually happened, you know? And then, like, the guy who sits down, and he's like, he writes a whole Gemara. Like, he writes, there's a Gemara in Yavamis that discusses the idea of children crossing the street without their parents. Right? And it's like, oh, you became a place all of a sudden. And then the guy who throws in, he says, you're just hiding behind your screen name. Why don't you sign your real name? And it's like, what? The kid just crossed the street. How did we, like, as a society, get to a place where, like, the kid crossed the street, somebody took a video of it, and all of a sudden, like, three people are in the Karta, two guys are, are Zionists, and, like, everyone else is, like, going to hell in a handbasket. How did we get there? And, like, how do we, like, sort of realize and understand this concept? So if you look in the Torah, you see that nearly every page is another fight. Now, before we do this, I just, I apologize. I meant to do this before, but I jumped right in. Um, this whole share, we should do this Lila Nishmas, Achanan um, ben Yafa, and Eliyahu ben Esther, whose yard site is this week. I apologize, I should have done this before. The Nishmas have an Aliyah, 
everything should be good mentioned in your family. Okay, so you look in the Torah, you start to see that nearly every page is another fight. Like, everybody's fight, fighting from the beginning. Cain and Havel, right? Moshe and Korach. Like, every single story, Yosef and his brothers, Dustin and Avira, we're complaining about this, we're fetching about that. And it's like, tell me a little bit about your family. Well, we're, you know, we're always fetching, we're complaining, and we're fighting with somebody else. It seems to be like this global national movement that the Jewish people signed up to, and we put ourselves a flag in the ground, and we said, we argue and fight with people. Two Jews, three opinions, it's like this universal concept. How do we, how do we understand this in a Torah perspective and really digest this and understand this? So we're in the Seder of Devarim. Five books of Moshe, last one, Chumash Devarim. And the, the, the way that the book starts off is Ela Hadvarim. These are the words. Asher Diber Moshe, that Moshe spoke. And everybody says, these are the words that Moshe spoke. Of course, these are the words that Moshe spoke. It sounds like we're being very redundant in what we're conveying over here. These are the words that Moshe spoke. Of course, these are the words that Moshe spoke. Moshe spoke words. Why is it that we're saying these concepts twice? And in order to understand this, we have to go way back in history and understand probably, I believe, one of the most significant Torah thoughts of all time. When Hashem turns to Moshe, right in the beginning, by the Sneh, Hashem meets Moshe and He says to Moshe, Moshe, you're the man. You're going to lead the Jewish people, take them out of Egypt, into the Promised Land, everything's going to be great. And for 30 psukim, Moshe argues with Hashem. He's like, they're not going to believe me. Who are you? Send it with somebody else. Moshe goes back and forth and he's fighting with Hashem. And Hashem turns to him and He says to him, Moshe, they're going to believe you. It's going to be great. This is what's going to happen. You're going to have miracles. Paro is not going to believe you. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Hashem lays out the whole ge'ula. And then Moshe changes his tactics to how he's arguing with Hashem. And he, he says to Hashem, Hashem, okay, I get it. You want me to go. But there's a little problem over here. Loi ish devarim anoichi. I got a stutter, I got a lisp, I burnt my mouth. I can't speak. I can't speak. You can't send me to go speak to the Jewish people. I'm going to get up and I'm going to be like, I can't do it. I'm the wrong guy. And Hashem knocks off that argument. What was that argument? So Chazal say that the argument over there is really the redundancy over here. I'll explain. Hashem turned to Moshe and he explained to him, that whenever you are communicating something, there are two elements. There is the message, and then there is the packaging of that message. Moshe is standing before Hashem. Hashem is pretty aware who Moshe is. He knows that he burnt his mouth. And Hashem is talking to him, and he says, this is the message that you have to convey to Kal Yisrael. And Moshe says, wow, I don't know if that message is going to go over very well. They're, they're, they're overworked. Nobody's going to listen. And they start arguing. For 30 psukim, they're arguing about the message. And when Hashem refutes all of those arguments, Moshe says, let me change gears here. Hey, Hashem, we got another problem. The packaging, the packaging of this message, the vehicle that's going to deliver this message to the Jewish people, it's all off. You got the wrong guy. I can't convey the message. Fine, the message is great, but I'm the wrong guy. I can't communicate it. And the Medrash says that Hashem says to Moshe, no, you're not understanding something. That in an altruistic society, people who are going to believe in Hashem, smart people, big people, people who are close to Hashem, they're going to see the message through the bad packaging. 
Nobody is going to ever claim in history that the reason why the Jewish people followed you, Moshe, out of Egypt was because you got up there, the strapping tall guy, 10 almost tall, you got your staff and you're like, let's go. That's not what's going to happen. They're going to say, you followed him? That guy stutters, that guy can't speak straight. It must be that what he's saying, what he's representing, the message that's behind him, that must be gold. It's not going to be about the package. It's going to be about the message. And Hashem says to Moshe, you're concerned about the package? You don't understand. I love that the package is not good. I love that the package is not good because people won't focus on the package. They're going to focus on the message. And Moshe says, wow, that's awesome. But what happened was, was that over time, as Klai Yisrael started getting more and more distant from Hashem, what happened was, says the Medrash, most people don't know this, Moshe's lisp, Moshe's stutter got better. Why? Because at that point in history, people were not following the message. They were following the package. They were following the packaging, the bow. That's what they were focused on. These are the messages. Asher Diber Moshe. Moshe said, Lav Bal Devarim. I'm not the guy to speak. Seder Devarim. You got one of the five books of Moshe. It's called Seder Devarim. Words. You said Lav Bal Devarim. Now you're the Bal Devarim. Because at this point in history, all of a sudden, hey, you're able to communicate. Because that's what the people were focused on. And that was a humongous shift from what Hashem wanted. Hashem said, focus on the message. And the people said, eh, message. We'd rather focus on the packaging. That concept is two distinct, two distinct packaging, two distinct messages which go hand in hand in almost every single argument. If you think about it, the reason why most people disagree, why they fight, why they bicker, why they sit down in front of a computer and they go, well, there's a Gemara, blah, 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 blah. you must be a Zionist, you must be... The reason why they get that whole mindset is because we have messages. We have tons of messages that we want to communicate. It could be a husband to a wife, a father to a daughter. It could be any sort of message that we want to communicate. These are the messages that we want to communicate all, all over to other people. And these messages are amazing. They're so smart and brilliant. And if you strip away all of the packaging from all of these messages, most of the time you come up with brilliance. You really come up with people who are giving you an alternative view, another way to change your life, to improve your life. You listen to the message. You're like, wow. When a wife turns to her husband, she's like, where were you? I don't understand. It's 20 minutes late. I don't understand. You kept me waiting here. If you strip away all of the packaging and you listen to the messaging, she's saying, I love you. You're amazing. If you came home a little bit earlier, we would have more time to maximize our life together. That's the message. But the packaging is all wrong. The messaging is brilliant. She's so smart. She's, she's hopping that the marriage needs to be upgraded. She's a brilliant woman. But she's so foolish because she's packaging it all wrong. I have this couple. They're yelling and screaming. And the wife's like, no, who's right? Right? He needs to get up on time. He needs to do this. And he's like, yeah, what? And he's, they're screaming. And they're like, who's right? I'm like, you're both 100% right. And you're both 100% wrong. All the messaging is right. And as people speak, I sit there and I'm like taking notes. And I said, now let's look at the messaging. Okay? Now we can focus on the messaging. You guys are so smart. You're both living your life. You both know what your life needs. Now let's look at the messaging. 
okay, the messaging is you need to get up earlier. Okay, let's see how we can work on that. The messaging is you need to spend more time with the kids. The messaging is Shabbos, you can't be drunk, you know, laid out on the couch. Like, these are the messaging. But the packaging was all wrong. If we can repackage this message, wow, what an amazing marriage you could have. What an amazing life you could have. What an amazing claw we could have. It's just the packaging that needs to be redone. The people were foolish. They focused on the packaging. In the beginning, Hashem said, that's not, I don't want it like that. It's not about the, it's not about the packaging. Moshe should stutter. If you go back in history, right, the Chavetz Chaim, right, when he would speak, you'd have like a thousand people packed into a shul that was half the size. They'd be hanging in through the windows, right, to hear him say two words. And, go, and then everyone goes, whoa, that's what he said, right? And now it's like a fire and light show. Because in order to get out the messaging, we've come to a point where we need better packaging. But in a smart person's mind, you focus on the message. The messaging is brilliant. Why was it so important? At this point, in Claudius Yisrael's time, for Moshe's packaging to catch up to the messaging. Because if you look, the whole Chumash Devarim is all Musr. It's all contention. It's all where all of a sudden Moshe says, guys got to lay it out to you real. And when he sits down and he says to them, I got to give you something. It's a bitter pill to swallow. At that point, the people go, oh, brother. And Moshe says, in order for me to give this over to people who've been complaining for the last 40 years about everything in the world, when they had literally everything in the world, the only way this is going to work is with better packaging. And I think that if you break it down, to its basic components, you see that Moshe was extremely careful when he got to Seder Devarim. In what he said, he was extremely careful when he said it, and he was extremely careful how he said it. Moshe did not throw in the kitchen sink. Every word that he selected was carefully planned. He was careful when he said it. He said it all the way to the end of his life. He's like, this is the story, this is the message, I'm out of here. And he was careful how he said it. If you look in the Pesukim, you see that Moshe alludes to this, he alludes to that. A lot of things, he was super duper careful how he said it. And I think when it comes to our everyday lives, it's exactly the same thing. You know, there's a story that I read years ago. They have a husband, and for about four years, he was working on writing a book. Every day, every night, he's writing a book, he's writing a book, and he tells his wife, I'm going to be this super famous author. You're going to be so proud to be married to me. I'm like the greatest guy ever. And she's like, okay, great. And every day he's working and he's telling her the storyline and the characters and he's going on and on and on. And this was in the days back when they had their computers, you know, whatever. It was plugged into the wall, right? Those olden day things, not the laptops. And the guy's working on it. And one day his wife is walking behind him and her foot trips over the wire and the plug gets pulled out. And he's like, oh, okay, don't worry about it. And he goes and he plugs it in. And his wife's like, did you lose anything? He's like, no, not a big deal. I'll get it. And he realized after he booted up the computer again that his whole document was gone. It was completely erased. After four years. Four years. Fine. The next day he tells his wife, yeah, everything's great. He's giving her a whole spiel. This character, that character. And he's giving her a whole story. And for the next like year or two or three, again, he's still working on his book. Work, always working on his book. And his wife's like, you're always working on your book. He's like, I'm working. Listen, you know, one day I'll be this famous author. 
Finally, he publishes the book. It was only like 10 or 20 years later that she found out that when she tripped over that wire, he lost everything. He took it to a computer repair shop. They couldn't recover it. For weeks and weeks, he tried. Didn't work. He started again from scratch. That guy is one heck of a guy. That guy understood, before I open my mouth, I have to figure out, is this worth saying something? If it's worth saying something, what are you going to do right now? Your computer is crashed. Your wife is in the other room. It's not going to do anything. She didn't do it on purpose. Careful what you say. A lot of people here are young. This is something to develop within your lives. Because one day, you're going to have a husband who's going to be the greatest guy in the world, but he's going to do something that you're not going to be happy with. What you say, when you say something, is so important. And I had another story. I'll tell you another story. Is that a lot of times you have people who they have something to say. It needs to be said. You're like, this is not just you tripped over my laptop and lost four years of work, which, by the way, is pretty catastrophic, right? It's like, you have something to say. I need to say something to my spouse. And you get up there, and you're like all worked up, and you're like, i got to say something. There's a story of a guy. He's a comic. He's a really funny guy. And he's sitting on the train. And you know those guys who walk onto the train, and they're holding these like huge signs, and they're like, do you believe? Are you going to heaven? Like They're like super excited. And this guy gets on the train, and he's walking around the train, and he's like, do you believe? Are you going to heaven? And he's screaming in everyone's face. And this comic's sitting there at the end of a really long day. And he turns to the guy next to him, and he's like, I don't like church when I'm in church. Like, this guy shows up here, like, this is not going to go over well. And finally, the guy shows up, and he's like, do you believe? Are you going to heaven? The guy's like, are you going to be there? Because if you're there, I'm not going to heaven. Like, like, no, right? The idea of, of, of accepting something that you feel in your mind, like, I got to say this. Like, when, when your husband's holding up the sukkah, like, the whole thing could crash on him, you're like, you don't get up early enough. You know, like, that's not the time. The, the selection of when you say something, the selection of if you say something, and the selection of how you say something. I had a woman, she came, she was sitting with me with her husband, and she was so upset because her husband had came home, come home one night and he walked through the house. She's like, he doesn't care about anything in the house. And I said, what's the matter? She said, he walked through the house. His feet were all muddy and he was some track marks on the floor. And the guy's like, well, I'm sorry. I didn't notice that she washed the floor before. And she never does it. Now she did it. Fine. They had this little argument. So I said to the woman, okay, I hear you. She's like, don't I have a right? I could be upset. I am upset. My husband, he tracked up my whole floor. And I said to her, I want to ask you a question. Let's imagine that your husband calls you up before he comes home and he says to you, tonight, Reb Chaim Knievsky is in town. And he asks if he can come over to our house, have a tea, make a lachayim, make a siyam, whatever. Do you mind hosting him in 20 minutes? What would you say? She's like, Reb Chaim Knievsky, of course. I said, okay, he shows up with Reb Chaim Knievsky. Your husband walks in, nothing. There's nothing on his feet. Reb Chaim Knievsky walks through your house. And as he walks through your house, you see like little footprint marks behind Reb Chaim Knievsky. I said to her, would you say something? Said, no. I said, <laughs> okay, you said yeah? Fine. Now I have a question for you. If you would say something, how would you say it? Now ask yourself that question. Meaning, assu- assu- right, assuming you would say it, how would you say it? What? Would you like slippers? Okay, so would you like slippers is different than the way this woman was talking to her husband. It's exactly the point. 
And I sat there, I want you to imagine, go back in time two weeks to when your husband walked through your house and he tracked it up with mud. And now imagine that you're talking to Rafael Kanievsky and he's the one who's sitting here and you have to tell him something because you got to get off your chest. Now say it to him. She's like, okay, I get it. So I said, no, no, no. It's a skill. It has to be developed. You can't say this in your mind, but not with your mouth. So I said, now turn to him again and say to him what you want to say to him now that he tracked up before. This is Reb Chaim Kanievsky. And the woman like, thought for like five minutes before she even opened her mouth. And she was like, you know, I'm not sure if the Rav noticed, but my house was very clean before. I spent a long... She was like correcting through the, like, through the statement. And then she's like, so sorry to bother you, but here's a pair of slippers. It'll make your time here a little easier. She was like, like, like slowly getting through. And it sounds cheesy. But gu- I guarantee you one thing. Next time her husband walked through the house, she thought twice how she said it. She had a message. She felt she needed to say it. No problem. She didn't say that. You are no She didn't say that. She did not say that, and I'll tell you why. Because you're, it's a great question. The answer is like this. Is that Rukhan Kanievsky is Rukhan Kanievsky. And you're right. But a husband and a wife who look up to each other as important people. Ask yourself this question. You ever had... You see this guy, right? He's talking to his employee, and he's like, you jerk, you idiot, you left my whatever outside. He's screaming at them, right? Then a client calls. What does he do? Hi, how are you, right? What's going on? Oh, great to see you. You went fishing with your friends last week. Amazing, great. One hangs the phone. You idiot, right? You're fired, right? What happened? You're upset or you're not upset? The answer is, that person, you don't care about them. The guy who's paying your bills, you care about them. If you're mocked of the people around you, to some degree, to something, then you'll speak to them differently. You're 100% right. And if a woman turns to her husband and says to him, you know, and Shildix, you know, dear husband, I don't want to be matriarchy, then, then it's probably very fake. But if you think twice and you say, I don't have a plan Kineski as my husband, but I have my husband, ask a girl on a date, right? You go on a date with a guy and the guy shows up two minutes late. You ever see a girl, she goes, you showed up late? That's it, I'm out of here, right? You never saw that before. Ask a woman, you ever said that to your husband? Yeah, every night, right? Why? What's the difference? Because we get so complacent. The guy was on the date, you didn't even marry him yet. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's okay. Traffic, two hours, no problem. It's okay, right? He shows up five minutes late when he's coming home. It's like, you couldn't call me? Hey, what's going on? Because when we speak to people, when we think a minute before, who am I speaking to? Do I have to say this? When is a good time to say this? The mitzvah of teichacha, of rebuking somebody, of telling somebody, you did something wrong, is a derivative mitzvah of the ahafta l'reacha kamecha. The person has to feel that you love them so much in order for you to say something. And if they're not going to listen to you, then there's no mitzvah to say anything. Kishem shem mitzvah, right? The same way that it's meant to say something that they're going to listen to, it's not, it's not a mitzvah to say something where they are not going to listen to you. A hundred percent. A lot of times it is dependent on how you're going to present it, whether or not they're going to listen. Right. It's, what, it's if I'm going to say it, it's when I'm going to say it, and how I'm going to say it if it's going to be niskabo. And if it's not, don't say anything. Ask her up. Right? The idea when it comes to marriage, to relationships, to dating, is that when you're in that dating stage, everybody's like in la-la land. Like the person shows up two hours late, you're so happy, you're fine, at least they showed up. You're safe, Baruch Hashem. Right? Your spouse shows up two minutes late. Your laundry's not ready in time. Your cleaners. Anything. All the little nuances of things in our lives. We have great messaging. 
Our messaging is so good. Our packaging, the way that we package how we say things that we feel need to be said and when they need to be said, that is something which if you develop that, it will serve you really, really well. I had a couple in my house also, a different couple. We're, we were trying to explain to them this idea and it was just, it was just not going over. This woman was just like not getting it. Every time they would bring up a point of contention, she went right through the roof. Like she went totally crazy. So at one point I said, do you mind if I bring my wife in? So my wife comes, she sits down, very smart lady. I said to my wife, I'm trying to explain to them the idea. The difference between messaging and packaging. My wife's like, okay, great. So I said to the couple, let's talk about something, right, that you guys want to work on. So she says, I'm so upset, you know, that he comes in and he always leaves his socks on the floor. And she was like, purple. She was like, leaves his socks on the floor. She was screaming. So the, the guy was like, not hearing anything, clearly. So he was just like, you know, the guys do the turtle move. You know the turtle move? This is the turtle move. You cross your arms and your legs, and like it's almost you see like two eyes popping out, but like they are not listening to one word that's going on. So the guy, the guy turns into a turtle. <laughs> so I said, okay, now let's start this again. So my wife turns to her and says to her, I want to do this little exercise with you. Okay, here's the exercise. I'm going to feed you the words to learn this skill of packaging. So my wife literally says word for word in front of him. She says, dear, you should know you're so amazing. You're working so hard. You must be so tired. She gives her this whole cheesy thing to say over. And this woman's like, okay, fine. I got it, right? And she turns to him and she says, dear. <laughs> she's like reading off a paper. She's like, you work really hard. She's like literally reading off a paper like, to get through this. And she's like, and it would be really appreciated if in the future, you know, your socks made it all the way to the hamper. So he's like, you know, well, sometimes you leave your socks on the floor. And she goes, what? I can't believe it. You can't you she went crazy. And I was like, <laughs> you, can't, you can't teach it. You can't teach it. It's something that's a skill. It's a skill. It's something which you cannot learn this in a second. You can't decide today, yeah, all of a sudden everything I say is going to be all fluffy. It does not work. It's something which takes years and years to develop within ourselves that we have such great messaging. And is it a point that I need to say? And if it is, when do I say it? And if I am going to say it at this time, how am I going to give this across. If you look all the way back in Bereshus, you see a story where Hashem is talking to Avram and he's telling him, you're going to have a baby and a year from now, baby's going to be called Yitzchak, it's going to be the chosen child, and he's giving him a whole story. And Sarah is back in the house and Sarah, the Pasuk says, Vatishchak Sarah v'kirba lemar. Sarah laughed inside. If you look in the psukim, it says that Avram shows up into the house and he says to her, he says, why'd you laugh? What were you laughing about? And Sarah says, no, it's not true. I didn't laugh. And Avram turns to her and he says, very famous words. He says, It's not true that you didn't laugh. You did laugh. The Chavis Chaim says, it's a very interesting story. It says that she laughs inside. Then it says that Avram says, there you laughed. And she's like, no, I didn't laugh. And he's like, no, but you did laugh. What type of argument was this? Like, what was going on over here? Very interesting story. And the Chavetz Chaim writes, very interestingly, he says, if not for this message, then this entire story has no place in the Torah. Because the Torah is not here to teach you, you know, like a lot of times you see people, they get together and they're like, 
tell me some juicy stories, right? Everyone's like super excited to hear a juicy story. Oh, she was yelling at him. She was screaming, like, oh, the giggles, right? <laughs> That's not the Torah. The Torah is not there to give us giggle stories. The Torah is there to teach us lessons. And the Chavaz Chaim writes, if not for this lesson that I'm about to teach you, this story has no place in the Torah. And he says, what is the lesson of the story? The lesson of the story is that when you laugh inside, you're laughing outside. Sarah turns to Avram and she says, I didn't laugh. Why? Because my face didn't change. And Avram says to her, That is considered laughing. You laughed inside, that means that you laughed. I had a couple that was sitting by me once, and they were going back with yelling and screaming. And the guy says this, the woman says this, and all of a sudden, it sounds like my house is on wheels, by the way, you know, like, like very exciting, what's going on there. <laughs> You know, sometimes. Um, <laughs> and they're going back about the yelling and screaming. And all of a sudden, the guy says, you know, and that time you, you, you made fun of my mother. And she's like, what are you talking about? You never made fun of your mother. I don't know what you're talking about. So I said, I want to stop for one second. Tell me the story with your mother. So he starts saying a story, how he was mentioning. He said, oh, my mother's coming in from out of town. A whole long story. And then he's like, and then you made fun of her. I don't remember what you said, but you made fun of her. She's like, no, I didn't make fun of her. So I said, did you say something derogatory? She's like, no. Tommy did not say anything about his mother. So I said, did you roll your eyes maybe? Like when he said, my mother's coming in from town. Did you roll your eyes? She's like, probably. That's it. He picks up on that. He knows that. He sees the subtle messages. Right? You're talking to somebody and they go, I didn't say anything. What do you mean you didn't say anything? Of course you said something. You communicated something. An idea is a very important idea because it's, it's an idea that we call kesher atzmi. Kesher atzmi means in order to get married, in order to have a successful marriage, you've got to know yourself. You've got to be in touch with yourself. And then you can be in touch with somebody else. That's where it starts. You understand yourself. And Avram was teaching that to Sarah. He was saying to her, Hashem just told me that you laughed. No, I didn't laugh. Yes, you did. And Sarah doesn't answer back because she recognizes he's right. I laughed on the inside. And that's called laughing on the outside. And that idea called kesher atzmi is really the prerequisite to marriage. You can't connect to somebody else if you're having a difficult time connecting to yourself. But how does this tie into what we're talking about tonight? Redoing your packaging. I think the idea is very simple. Is that, imagine you have a guy, a husband, he gets up late, he gets up an hour late, right? He usually gets up at 7, today he gets up at 8. And the woman's looking at him. And she's like, okay, Dilemma, right? I know that I got to tell him something, right? In her mind, like the wheels are spinning. I got to tell him something. So that's the message, right? Now, how do I say it? When do I say it? What do I say? So the wheels are turning. The secret is, is that in 95% of the time, and think about it when it comes to like your own friends, seminary, anybody, your neighbor, your clients, anybody. 99% of the time, whatever you're going to tell them, they already know. They already know, Right? Think about a client. You missed a deadline to file for him, right? So the guy calls you up. Before he says one word, when you see the name on the caller ID, you know what he knows, he knows what you know. You're all on the same page, right? You realize you messed up, but oh my gosh, I can't believe I forgot that. You know that's why the client's calling. He knows as soon as you pick up, you're going to remember. It's, you guys know, you're already, it's like ESPN, right? You're on the same page. Everybody knows that this is what's about to happen. So what's the point of the message? What's the point of the message? I, I got it. I, I realized. I made a mistake. I apologize. No, but I got it. You're trying to tell me that we missed the filing. Totally got it. But you guys are... Yeah, I got it. <laughs> I got the message. The message is clear. We understand the message. 
There is no need for packaging. Most arguments between husbands and wives, between friends, between neighbors, has nothing to do with messaging. It really doesn't. When you break down a fight, think about the last argument you've witnessed, you've seen, anything. You think about the messaging. The messaging is almost never, never the point of contention. Most people don't disagree with whatever is being said. They disagree with how you said it to them. How dare you talk to me like that? Do you know who I am? That's what we get so upset about. And if you, if you think that your husband's turning into a turtle and you keep going at it, the guy's not listening to a word you're saying. Your messaging is not getting across because of the packaging. We can use packaging to get across messaging, but we can also use packaging to destroy messaging. And most of the time, messaging is there. It doesn't even need to be conveyed because the person already knows it. When a, when a woman looks at her husband and she's like, he gets it, he knows it, he knows what time it is, he feels just as bad as you, maybe worse that he got up late. Now he's got to scramble to get his breakfast and his davening and his coffee. and He knows it. By the way, you got up an hour late today. I know. <laughs> Thank you. I was there. I'm aware of the situation. No need to convey this to me. No, but you do this every day. I know. You don't need to tell me. I run every day. We get it. She gets it. They get it. The packaging and the messaging. Those are two independent yet codependent ideas, which when you think about it, 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 it like gets things like going because you realize, do I need to say this even? There's no point. The message is already there. And if I do need to say it, how do I say it? When do I say it? And exactly what do I say? I was just listening to a few very, very influential people in the business world, very brilliant, wealthy, successful men. And one of them said, can you tell me why it is that a man like Elon Musk decided that he's going to build a car, Tesla, brilliant guy going to build a car that's going to just revolutionize the whole car industry. Tell me how it was done. And this person said that if you look back at the beginnings of Tesla just a few years ago, everybody knows what Tesla is, right? It's a new car, electric car, super duper awesome car. It's a really cool car. It's like a new car. It's like taking the world by storm because it's electric, goes super fast, goes faster than like most sports cars, and you don't even have to pay for gas, and they're making it really affordable. It's really cool. So Elon Musk created this company. You're familiar with Tesla, right? Drive a Tesla? No. <laughs> right? And, and it's this really cool car company. So they said, how is it that he took a car company, which a lot of people didn't even hear of, but when they un veil their new cars, there's literally like thousands of people waiting to buy the car. It's like such a revolutionary car. Super cool. When you Google it tonight, you'll see like a lot of really cool stuff about cars. I'm sorry if I'm saying this on tour anytime or anywhere else that people will be offended, but it's a car. It's too much gosh me, so don't buy it, but it's really cool to look at. So how is it that he did it? And they said that it's very interesting because if you look back at the beginning, when they were thinking about building this car, the way that they did it was that they started scoping out all other cars in all other industries. And they started saying, how do they create their steering wheel? Who makes their steering wheel? Who manufactures it? What goes into it? And they literally broke down component by component every single part of the vehicle. And then they started contacting Ferrari, Lamborghini, like the high-end companies. And they started saying to them, who provides your steering wheels? Who makes the dash? Who makes the seats? Who makes the mechanics? They started asking them all these questions. 
And then they said to themselves, what can we do from scratch? What is our total dream of all dream cars? And the interesting thing is when they used to call, let's say, Ferrari, they'd say, hi, we're calling from Tesla. Who, created your, who creates your steering, your steering wheels? Where do they get manufactured? Where do they get made? Like, you're calling from where? Like, we're calling from Tesla. They're like, haha, this must be a prank. And they would hang up. Tesla, who's Tesla? Never heard of you guys. And they used to, all these car companies used to hang up on them. They'd be like, these guys must be a joke. It's like some kids playing a prank call. And they said, no, we're a legitimate company. And people used to just hang up on them. You're calling Mercedes? Like, click. Everybody's hanging up on them. How did they get from where they are to where they are today? And they said, because when these guys set out to build a car, the way that they built the car was that they completely dreamed from scratch. Imagine if I said to you right now, I want you to build a dream car. So you might think to yourself, okay, I take a Mercedes and I, I put on like cameras everywhere and great sound system. But what if I said to you, forget Mercedes, forget Ferrari, forget Lamborghini. Start from total scratch. What do you need in a vehicle? So now you have to start thinking, I need wheels, got to move, I need a steering wheel, right? Or maybe it doesn't. Maybe it should drive by itself. Understand? Your brain starts to think differently. Who says, I need a steering wheel? Do I need all those things in front? Or maybe I could have one panel. Maybe I could have something in my pocket that controls the whole car for me. When you walk by a Tesla, the door pops open for you. Because it's super cool. Because that's what they thought of. So from scratch, if we're developing a car, what can we dream of? We'll just come up with anything. And these extremely successful and wealthy businessmen, Men, they said, the reason why Tesla is so successful and is going to be so successful is because Tesla did not have Detroit. Detroit is, is, is the 1800s of cars. Detroit is the 1902 of cars. Detroit is the 1920s of cars. They're not building on previous successes or failures. They are thinking towards the future. They're not thinking about, well, we have this assembly line. What can we do with it? They're thinking, if I have to build an assembly line from total scratch, how do I do that? It's a totally different way of programming your brain. You create a vehicle that's not based on any other vehicle. You forget your past. There is no past. We're starting from today. We're going forward. Many relationships. At a certain point, they come and they sit down, and I have this all the time with couples. I say to them, how long are you married? Married seven years. Wonderful. Let's talk a little bit. And then they start talking. And I say to them, listen, if you want to be married seven years, great, good for you. But I'm just telling you that the last seven years, you both, you all recognize it's a disaster. Next year, you can either have your eighth anniversary or you can have your first anniversary. You can have whatever you had the last seven years for another year and then another year and then another year. Or you can forget everything that happened and you can start fresh. If you're looking towards the future and you're still looking in your rearview mirror, then you're going to have a very hard time. If you're trying to battle technology with skills that they had in the 1970s, there's no way it's going to work. 1970s, they weren't battling technology. You need to look forward. You don't need to look in your rearview mirror. Of course, you always have to look back at our Messiah and all that 100%. But if you want your marriage, you want your relationship with a friend, with a neighbor, with, with anybody to go from here to there, there has to be, I'm leaving this behind. That was our first marriage. Our first marriage was seven years. That was a dud. Now we're getting remarried. We're starting again. And I have couples now where they call me up and they go, hi, it's our anniversary. I'm like, wow, happy anniversary. They're like, yeah, it's our first day. I'm like, aren't you married? Like, no, it's our, it's our, first, our first real anniversary. And the date that they celebrate as their anniversary is not the day they got married. It's the day that they started working on their marriage. 
It's I'm going forward. I'm not looking backwards. I'm not Detroit. I don't have an assembly line. This is how we do things. You ask most couples, what are your triggers? What are like the things that you always fight about? They'll say, well, we fight about this and this and this. And how do you fight? And they'll say, I'll tell you, it's always the same thing. He yells at me about this. She yells at me about that. That's, that's great. That's wonderful. That's an assembly line marriage. It happens over and over and over, and you do it again and again and again. You keep churning out the same 1927 car. You can keep doing that. But if you destroy that whole assembly line, you say, we got to look forward rather than going backwards. Then you can dream. Then you can become Tesla. Then you become the greatest car that ever existed. Because you're not thinking about what was, what is, how we do things. You're thinking about what we want to do in the future. You get the skills and the tools to maximize your relationships. If you are young and you are single, this is the greatest opportunity in the world for you to develop yourself for your future relationships. The messaging and the packaging, those are two elements of how we give over every single idea. And if you're, if you're a, big perp- a big person, when somebody says something, you're going to focus on the messaging. But if you're a smart person, you're going to change the packaging. Have a great night. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.